Mike Feinberg Show. Welcome inside the Parisi Palace, high above 3773's Broadway. This is the Jake Feinberg Show, coming to you live on Power Talk. Please go to our website, powertalk.live. Download our free app and stream all of our live local programming, including Solomon on Blast, the Jim Parisi Show, and yours truly, the Jake Feinberg Show. We can't thank you enough for making us part of your day today. And what a great way to in our new digs to open up our new digs uh, to bring back an old friend of the program, a cat that um, I consistently admire from a distance and the vibrations that he gives off from the bass instrument. He's on the road more than he is at home these days, uh, creating improvisation within formulaic set lists with many Titanic musicians. Still in good health, still rocking out, still cogent, and we still are forward, moving in forward motion. Leland Sklar, welcome back to the Jake Feinberg Show. Uh, I have to go now. I'll, <laughs> I'll talk to you later. <laughs> hey, bud. Jesus, I, I, I heard your ad for dental implants. I just had to have one the other day. I wish I'd have talked to you first. <laughs> I might have gone to your people. <laughs> they, they botched it? It didn't work out so well? Oh, no, no, it's great. I actually had them do the uh, tooth in Rosewood. I, I, if, it was good in, if it was good enough for George Washington, I thought a, a nice... I was going to go with Bubinga, but didn't oh. want to get hassled at the uh, airline. Oh, I mean, I, it's just great to talk to you again, man. I, you know, I, 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 uh, I just, I wanted to start, um, wanted to read you something uh, that you told me and then allow you to just expand on I it. I was lying. I was lying. Don't believe anything. Well, listen to it first and then you can, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> then you can decide. I know me. <laughs> Leadership in my mind is involvement. And I've always prided myself on being involved. I jump right into the thick of everything, always throw out suggestions, and goof around with everybody to keep the energy level high. And and it goes on to this long thing about working with, you know, you worked with so many cats. But can you just expand on the idea of how to, how you continue to inspire through leadership, through being involved and putting yourself, I remember Michael Shreve told me, he said, you know, how do you expect the audience to go go there if you're not willing to go there first? And I just wanted you to talk about... That's a great way of, of putting it. Yeah, so just, just riff on that, really. Well, you know, the thing is, I've always... You know, your chops are one thing, but especially I, I find this more in the studio than, than live. Um, I've, I've always considered a, a big chunk of my gig is really a uh, like a cheerleader. Uh, you get on a session, and there's a lot of guys I know that are fabulous musicians, but they kind of, they do their part, they sit there, but they're kind of like a lump of coal, and they bring no energy or vibe. You know, when they play, they do it, but, but there's another level on a session that you, you really want to have that excitement uh, of the moment uh, caught on, on tape or digital or whatever your format is. Um, and I, I think one of the things I really enjoy is the camaraderie of, of a group of musicians in the studio 
and uh, and just keeping the, the atmosphere light and and that keeps the enthusiasm high. People don't start to get into a funk or looking at their watch, going, you know, when is this going to end? Kind of an attitude. Uh, and I think it's a real critical part of of the gig. It's not anything you can really train for or anything. But uh, I mean, I know a number of players like that. When we get in the studio, we just we're having fun the whole time. When the red light comes on, we're dead serious. Um, but with that seriousness also comes uh, kind of a uh, frivolity and uh, and just a kind of a joy in, in the fact that we're blessed enough to uh, have this. Uh, be our our vocation were, were you could you could you uh kind of like an, uh analogize between the old guard uh the crosbys and the nashes who then they were always well you never really kind of knew what state of mind they were nece- necessarily in david specifically but like the old school cats versus my generation kids in their 30s you work with so many younger cats yeah uh, is there a difference i just look at my generation being more uh, how should I put this? The the levity. There's so much pressure. Like you said, there are no con- concept LPs anymore. So there's EPs. You got to cut this stuff. You're paying for this time. It's all bottom line stuff. Some people have. Um, you know, I just can you can you cross over between well, the old I, guard I and think, the new? I, yeah, I think the the enthusiasm that I'm talking about and the attitude uh, would be the same if you're doing an extensive LP or if you're doing a single. It, it really comes down to the individual performance of the individual song. Um, certainly, in the old in the old days, um, you know, I worked with a lot of pant loads that you know you'd get in there, and you just you know half the time the artists wouldn't even show up. Um, so you know, worrying they're even guessing at what key they're going to do it in, you know, making assumptions. Um, but it really comes down to 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 the rhythm section. Uh, the most, uh, as far as I'm concerned, keeping the energy level and all that, that going. Um, a lot of young artists, I, f- I feel bad for them because, you know, when I look at somebody like Bonnie Raitt, and you think, you know, before Nick of Time, she had an extensive catalog that just was more of a cult following, and but but the label stuck it out with her, mm-hmm. and just on the on just knowing she was good enough that at some point something was going to happen and then when nick of time happened then all of a sudden her back catalog came roaring back and and people got into her um a lot of new artists now are never going to have the chance to have a back catalog they get like one shot and that's pretty much it and a lot of the people i work with at this point um are are financed by uh, something other than a label and if that person who's putting up the money doesn't see an immediate return they're not going to contribute more and more unless it's maybe a family thing and they're just bankrolling their kid um who's maybe is talented and deserves an opportunity but it's uh it's a lot more pressure on them when we go in the studio you kind of because i for me i go in the studio i'll work on somebody's thing and they they're living and dying by that session and i'm leaving after that and going off to do something else right it doesn't affect me on that level, but I take pride in what I do, and I want every performance that I do to be the best I can possibly do, even if I'm not, you know, completely enamored with the song or the artist. I, I still, if I said yes when the phone call came, uh, it's my obligation to go in and do the very best job I possibly can. Do, I just want you to be clear: you're you're in the thick thick of it. Um, so, because we don't have a record industry anymore. You're talking about like sponsors, like like beer sponsors that are supporting them. Well, or? no, I mean, no, I mean, uh, there, there's people that I've been doing albums with, and some of them are unbelievably great albums, mm-hmm. and and sometimes these these are older artists that um, have had success in in the business world, and they have the resources to put together their dream band and go in and make a record, um, and uh, but they're personally paying for it. Or I just finished doing a project with this girl from Singapore, and her family is bankrolling her. She's a really, really good singer-songwriter, and she's like just I think turning 16, and uh, and we put together this ridiculously great band and went in it and cut about eight songs for her, and uh, and the family paid for it. 
And what they're going to do with that, that I don't know, and that's where my involvement um, ends. Yeah, right. no, we talk, I mean, listen, just for the audience listening worldwide, uh, <clears throat> we, Lee and I are doing an oral history of, of Lee Sklar at this point. Um, this is interview number five, and we talked about the idea of saying, well, what do you do with it once it's yep. made? And um, do you see any seeds... Like you're on the you tr- you do a lot of traveling. Like when you're with yeah. when you're with like Phil Collins or or someone like that. I mean, are you are you seeing uh, younger bands that maybe you saw ten years ago and they're still on the circuit, either opening for you or you you run into them? In the, I mean, I guess what I'm trying to say is, is that give me a little bit of hope beyond the idea of saying okay, Journey and Steve Miller and Carlos said they're going to go and 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 do their hits from thirty or forty years ago. I mean, is is there a young is have you is can you point to some younger bands that are inspiring you? Um, you know, it, it I hear music that inspires me, but I don't necessarily always follow through as to who it is. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure if they're a younger band or if they or a band that's been around a while. Because I'm I'm really I mean I'm feeling I'm kind of almost freaking out the, the fact that I'm as busy as I am. Um, and, and so I really don't have time to kind of sit back and just check out the scene. Um, I'm spending the majority of my time on the road, and when I'm not, I'm in the studio. But uh, it's really kind of shocking to me, um, really, how busy I am. And when it comes to, like, with Phil Collins, we've never had an opening act with Phil, so I don't, I don't really see who's out there. And I'm going out with, uh, again, with Judith Owen. We just finished doing a, um, some promo gigs for her new album release. But we're going to spend the month of uh, March opening for Brian Ferry hmm. on his on his U.S. tour. So I, I'm going out with an opening act, and uh, so it's you know I, I'm kind of seeing all sides of this. Um, but you know I, I never wanted I never want to discourage young artists out there because there are things going on. When I pick up like the L.A. Um, paper and I look at what's going on in town, um, there's. A, ton of, of names uh, that I've never heard of, but they're playing the club circuit here. Clubs aren't what they used to be, so it's more and more difficult to, um, to find places to um, really basically hone your skills. When I, when, I, when I was younger, I could literally walk into some clubs back in the 60s carrying a bass over my shoulder right. um, with a cord wrapped around it and a strap and sit in with bands. Um, the, that world doesn't exist anymore, um, but it gave me a chance to meet people because so much of this business is who you know, who you meet. Um, it, it's all that kind of networking, and it's more and more difficult now. But again, um, there's like young uh, young artists out there that are really amazing that are that I, I still end up working with in their teens and twenties. But I'm turning seventy, so I'm not really in the middle of the, the young band scene. Um, well, so it's, no, you, I mean you're you, you're carrying the torch as a musician. I, you know, I, Lee, I want you to to I want you to listen. I, I interviewed. Uh, do you are you familiar with the uh, the chanter singer Krishna Das? Oh yeah. So I interviewed him yesterday, and he said, "Cool." I wanted you to listen to this and, and then and riff on this because you talked about the uh, the cats in the studio who. You know, they barely have a pulse outside of maybe playing their instrument. But this is interesting, and I want you to talk about your own personal evol- evolution. He said, this is Christian, Christian Das is your age. Now, he didn't really find his, you know, voice until like the early 90s. He was a pretty tortured soul. He said, musicians learn how to access that timeless place, how to get to a place where you're not thinking. You're freed from your personality temporarily. And musicians get dependent on that, so there's per, their personal lives usually fall apart more and more. They never learn how to open up and do that here. They have to go somewhere else in the music world to enjoy. I met a lot of musicians like that who are incredible musicians, but their personalities are so tortured. It's the same longing, but there's a lack of understanding of how to access that place within us. Now, I mean, you're not a guru or a shaman. Um, you know, you are... But you've been on the bandstand a long time, and I just would like you to talk a little bit about how you learned what he's talking about basically is accessing this timeless place on the bandstand, but then being unable to really translate that over to real life. And I want to know how you've been able to 
to modulate that. I mean, you, you claim you're, you're freakishly busy now. I have suspicions as to why. But can you talk about your evolution as a, as a human being on the earth? Oh, boy, that's, <laughs> that's, a, that's a pretty deep moment there. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm not so, so much uh, looking at what I do from, you know, sort of that spiritual kind of a, a evolvement. Um, I, I just have always really been kind of open to everything around me. I, I try to be sensitive to the people around me and to the environment that I'm in. Um, and and embrace it. It, it. It's like when you go on the road and people say, you know, what towns do you like? And I go, I really like every town. You just you have to go into that town with an enthusiasm to experience it. And it, you might be, you know, one day you're in 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 London, and then I fly off to do something, and I'm in Lincoln, Nebraska, and I and I and I loved going to Lincoln, Nebraska. I'll, I'll go find, you know a park or I'll, I'll go to you know uh junk shops and find some funky little little diner it to me but it's always keeping a positive enthusiasm about everything that you do um and to me that translates into the music that's why when i go in the studio i really kind of suss the room out as as quick as i can you know i might be meeting the engineer or the second engineer at that studio for the first time and I immediately go and say hi, you know, talk to them and, and d- develop a rapport. Um, I, 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 every, I'm, I'm thrilled when I go in the studio and I'm working with musicians I've never met before. And um, Why? It, it, Why is that? It, um, because to a certain extent, we, we've all been, at least it, like in, in LAI experiences, where you kind of get cubbyholed and you get put together with certain rhythm sections that people are real confident in. So they, they call the same guys to be together all the time because there's a confidence that we all know each other and that we can get the job done really efficiently and everything. But if I walk in and I suddenly meet a new drummer, um, I just go, oh, God, this cat's great. Um, <laughs> and then the, the, the next thing I know, somebody calls me and goes, uh, can you recommend a drummer? And then I'll immediately suggest that guy because I really enjoyed playing with them where their expectation might be that I would say somebody else. But I go, no, you know, you're going to really dig them because I really I really think this is all very fluid. And it doesn't mean I don't enjoy playing with the guys I've played with for all these decades. It just means that there's this fluidity of people coming into our lives that that to me, you really need to be open to and embrace because each new guy I play with uh, affects my playing, and maybe I'm not going to play what I would normally have played had I been with somebody else. So it a lot makes me think a little bit differently, and it keeps me fresh. How have you dealt with cats that you love dearly, but they, like like Christian Doss says, they, they're tortured souls off the bandstand. They They can't get – they know how to access this place, this timeless, this not TikTok time – environment but they can't put them how have you um i mean even without mentioning well it's weird i really i really don't know many that many people that that are tortured oh that's that's good Um, that's good yeah i mean most of the people that i work with and that i that i know i mean everybody's got issues in their (laughs) lives and and i've dealt with and i've dealt with you know a, a number of people that that have have committed suicide uh in their lives and i never saw the torture that they mm-hmm. obviously had buried somewhere in, in their soul that no, but none of us were ever privy to because it's a constant discussion every time we get together um, as to what the hell happened, why didn't we see something. But I would say most of the people I know, other than just the kind of normal day-in and day-out crap people deal with in their lives, I, re- I really don't know that many people that are, I would consider, a, a, a tortured soul um, most guys bring a, a pretty good attitude to work, and most guys work very hard and take great pride uh, in their craft. And uh, and uh, and I think we all feel incredibly fortunate that um, we have this 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 profession that, especially in this day and age, I mean, there's some stuff going on in the world that that is to me torturous. Um, but the the idea that we can um, go in uh, to a venue and for people who may be having a really terrible day for a couple of hours they uh, 
they're smiling, they're having a great time, and, they, and it's a great form of escapism. So I think we're incredibly fortunate uh, on that level. And when I work with Judith Owen, she is one of the most uh, incredible writers I've ever worked with. And there's people that come up after the shows every time in tears talking about how us, one of the songs for them they connected with so deeply because she has a, one of the songs is about um, when her father was dying and the fact that uh, there was a time where they were no longer there and you and you couldn't talk to them and the way she makes it so succinctly uh, poignant in 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 her writing and people come up and go you know I just I just lost my wife or I just lost my kid and I I can't believe you know what you've addressed in this. Uh, it's an amazing opportunity to to connect with people, and I think we all uh, take that very seriously. And uh, I, I I never want to walk off stage thinking that I didn't give my best um, that night for those people. I just want to you know it's twenty past the hour here We're on the phone with uh, live on Power Talk with Leland Sklar. I, I just I'm I'm reading off a feed here that uh, we we've just lost Clyde Stubblefield, the drummer. Oh, you're kidding. No, oh, I just, geez. but I, this is, okay, so. They're I, going, they're going, you know, we're at that. that well, you now. know, and this is, I actually wanted to ask you, did you ever collaborate with David Axelrod? No, I knew David by name, but but I never had the, the pleasure of, of collaborating with him. I was hoping you'd be on like one of those funky heavy act sessions that we never knew, because I knew like Hugh Art got the call for that, and um you know, we have a game on this program uh, called Name That Voice. Uh, <laughs> I want you to listen to this voice now, and, and then I'm we'll... really uh, hideous at this. <laughs> I, I, no, you're going to really enjoy this, and then, we'll, and then we'll come back, okay? Okay. Okay. And they weren't opposed to trying anything, you know, really. I mean, when I think of Russ and Lee and Danny and, you know, all those James Taylor sessions we did... I mean, I remember Danny and James sitting in the in the um, side room at the sound factory. The, the control room was on the right side, had a room that was isolation, and then the room in front. And I remember them sitting in there sort of just jamming. James had, was all set up because we were tracking some song. I don't remember what we were tracking, but he was sitting there with an acoustic guitar, and Danny was, and they started playing Handyman. And I'm listening to them over the mics, and Peter and I looked at each other, and we went, holy shit, that's such a great idea. We go running out and go, oh, my God, you guys got to do that. And they went, James goes, I'm not cutting another oldie. So that's where that started, and, and that took, like, you know, two days that you got to do this. You pushed <laughs> and, them, and they finally did it. And it, Well, we, you know, eventually they did it, but, you know, it's funny, people's reactions to things, you know. How did you? All right, Mr. Sklar, who is wow. that? Who is that? God, no, I, I'm I'm seeing. I can't I can't put a name. I'm blanking right now. Okay, you're blanking. You're, it's one. Of, it's a dear friend of yours, Val Gray. Oh, it's Val. Okay, yeah. yeah. So I had okay. a, I had a chance to interview Val, and he was. I knew. I knew. I knew. I knew the nasal quality. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, he was. Uh, you know, and and that cat uh, was so is so sharp. But he was talking about. Um, on the fly, a lot of times, uh, I guess maybe one time, uh, Russ may have played a, a tape box as a drum kit. Uh, uh, that was on, um, uh, oh God, what's name? hold on, give me one, yeah. one second. Um, traffic Jam. Traffic Jam. Can you? Can yeah, you? We, we were trying to find a drum sound, and nothing worked, and they finally pulled out some cardboard boxes that the drums had come in, <laughs> and that's what Russ played. <laughs> It's like buying your cat a wonderful toy, and then the cat, next thing you know, is in the bag that the toy came in going crazy. <laughs> I mean, can I just want you to talk. This is so important because obviously there, we live in this full-on digital realm now. Everything uh, from intimacy to, uh, to, to music is all digital now. And, and, and I just I wanted you to talk, if you go back in time, even to the Chitlin circuit, when you maybe had just kind of indigenously create something on the fly or just you found a sound. Um, I mean, you talked about bringing foam pads to a Herb Peterson dates, you know, like, uh, yeah. can you talk about that? The creativity that you exude, I mean, part of it is going in, like you said, scanning the room, knowing the peeps, learning, feeling it out. But at the same time, it's also like, Oh, this is not a big deal. We can problem solve this. We can find something. It's about ingenuity. I want you to talk about 
your definition of ingenuity and then maybe some examples of, of uh, even recently of, of how you've, uh, you know, just sort of indigenously created sound. Well, I, I think one of the things that in, I always hate saying the old days because I don't want to sound like an old fart, but I've been at this a long time. But back in the, like in the early 70s, um, we were, when we would go in the studio, we could be in for weeks working on a project. So we had the luxury of time to be able to experiment and really do different things where now everybody's like, you know, saying, look, we got three hours, we got, we got to cut four songs, we got to get in and out, blah, blah, blah. So you, you really go for your gut instinct. But I remember on one of James's records, um, I don't know if it was One Man Dog or, or one of the early ones, um, he wanted the background vocals to sound different. And he had, there was a line call, uh, saying, letting the time go by. <clears throat> but to make it sound different, what he did was he sang, letting the time go by. Then we played the tape backwards learned it phonetically backwards, recorded it, singing it backwards, then flipped the tape over again. So instead of it going, letting the time go by, it went, letting the time go by. It was oh, being that is true. That is Well, that's, that's wow. the kind of stuff you could never do nowadays, unless you were maybe Sting or somebody that had the luxury of locking themselves up in a <laughs> chateau for you know a yeah. couple of months and working on their, their album. Working on um, phonetics, it, yeah. Yeah, uh, but we had opportunities. I remember at one time, with again with James, uh, James, uh, he had a pretty wide vocal range, and he had some other people come in, and they sang um, individual tones on a tape, and then we actually used the console as a voice organ, and we orchestrated how to create vocal clusters, and everybody was assigned a couple of faders, and we learned the song, and then ended up playing that so it was it was almost like doing something with a mellotron or something like that we created this whole instrument that was hadn't been there before so we had we had a lot of chances like that one of the problems uh it's not a problem but one of the issues with being a bass player uh from my standpoint is it's like when you go into a session and, and you get there and they've just spent 45 minutes getting drum sounds, working on the kick drum, working on all this stuff. And then I come in and they go, okay, let's hear the bass. And I play two notes and they go, fine. <laughs> there, there's very little opportunity to um, take things to another level. If I'm working with somebody um, that gives me that opportunity, um, I love it. I did... Um, um, uh, Adriana is a song uh, that I did with Vince Gill, um, mm -hmm. about, and it was about his daughter, I believe. And they were going to do some strings on it, and I said, well, let me try something. And uh, I went in and ended up uh, doing a bunch of chordal um, fretless things. And the way they were mixed in, it kind of eliminated the need to do a string date. And I'm apologizing to string players who maybe didn't get hired for that <laughs> thing. Um, but I've got, I did that with Phil Collins, too, on some things where... Um, and on another track, um, no other, Gene Clark. Um, on that right. track, I think I have about six basses on that track, from, from fuzz tone to piccolo to regular parts. But they're all blended and orchestrated in such a way where it still sounds like there's a bass part with all this other stuff going on. But those opportunities for me are really few and far between because most of the time the people go, you know, we really don't have the time to do that. I, I love uh, like having a piccolo bass with me or taking my bass parts and, and doing a bass part and then doubling it up an octave with, say, a little pitch shift on it or something. Um, to create something that sounds more like an eight string, uh, but yeah. again, you know, it's it's so much stuff in this day and age is all time related, and they're just going, you know, we got to get in and out of here. So you know, just give me a great bass part, great tone, and uh, see you later. Uh, so <laughs> I had more luxury to to play around back in the uh, in the old days when we were, you know, spending a lot more time in the studio, and you could really sit there and and try all kinds of alternative ideas and chordal things and stuff so but i sneak them in when i can i mean can you i was pleasantly surprised i had <clears throat> um uh breakfast with uh, peter rowan when he was down here and in, in, mm -hmm. in the late in the in the fall and he's like 
his company or his his management team, he said to me, um, he was trying to think about this this the sec. He was like the section. I said, you mean with Danny Korshmar and Lee Scalise? Like, yeah, that he's like they they are trying to. Uh, uh, I forget whether he was saying uh, go on go start a tour, but actually it was going back into the studio, and yeah. and I was like, are you kidding me? You know, and and so sure enough. I asked Cooch about two, three weeks ago when I interviewed him. I, I, I was like, dude, this is quite remarkable in April. So you guys, I just want to be clear, though, that, I mean, not that you have all the specifics laid out, but are you also in this, even though you're not from that generation, you're from the generation that had a lot of time to be creative, are you going to, are you, are you in the same predicament to be like, well, Let's just get these parts down and figure. I mean, can you talk about? Absolutely it? not. Okay, so talk about that. How the how well, you? Well, uh, right right now, I'm the fly in the ointment. We had planned <laughs> on on holding a couple of weeks in April, like three weeks, to get together and like we used to do when we originally formed the band. Uh, we would go in and rehearse, and we had like an old Sony. Um, a cassette player with condenser mics in it. We'd set it in the middle of the room and we would just jam and work out all kinds of ideas. Then we would sit and listen to all of this stuff and hone down songs and, and grooves and stuff out of that. I, we were planning on, on really just following that same route um, of doing this and we had wanted to hold the time in April and the guys were all going great, great, great. Um, my problem is I, I, then I immediately get called to do another uh, album with the French artist Eddie Mitchell, and uh, and that's going to be the first two weeks of April. Then I've got to go to Washington D.C. to do this gig I do every year at the Library of Congress for ASCAP. And there's a, and all of a sudden April for me just is turned it, to crap. You become a fly in the ointment. I mean, this is now it's going to be put. So when when are you not busy though? <laughs> well, that's the problem. So now we're going to kind of hold off till later in the year. I, I'm I'm committed right now, uh, work-wise, up until August, mm-hmm. between Judith Owen and Phil Collins and some album projects. I'm I'm slamming uh, until uh, the end of July. Um, so uh, we'll try to get together at that point because the Grammy Museum uh, wants us to come and do an evening at the Grammy Museum here in L.A. Um, and we would like to get together and do some rehearsals and maybe be able to go there and present some new material and do a performance. Plus, one of the things that we're, 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 I think is really important is when we did a gig with James Taylor back at the Pantages Theater back in the, in the 70s, um, we were the opening act for him at that time as the section. And, and this was towards the end of, of us. And at that point, David Lindley had also joined the group. Um, so we've got this video that was filmed that night, and it was recorded on 24-track. Um, we're organizing getting all that back together and then uh, trying to release uh, a live performance video from that. And I've seen it, and it's really unbelievably great. We just did the Kennedy Center Honors. Um, a few months ago, uh, where they they were honoring James Taylor, and as a surprise to him, they brought the four of us back in with Cheryl Crow to um, do a couple of songs for his his induction, and uh, and we've you know for year for years ever since you know the band actually broke up when I'm in Europe or Asia uh, in Japan, people always come and go. Is Section ever going to do anything again? And so we're kind of looking at this as a, an opportunity, and I just feel like a real asshole because the other guys were holding the time. And, and for me, it's still it, it work is work. And, and I've done a bunch of Eddie Mitchell's records, and I didn't feel um, it was fair to turn him down um, to go and, and rehearse, both, both um, financially and also just because, you know, I still have my my clients that I work with on a regular basis. And uh, do, I mean, so the, the, I just told the guys, yeah. I just told the guys, I said, look, you know, I want to do it, but I, you know, I'll do my best, you know, but let's look down the pike a little bit and we'll try to get this together. So it's still, it's still in the planning stage. Uh, it's just, it's not going to happen in April. Like we had hoped it would. Um, if it, if it was, or, I mean, again, we're talking about, you know, the, uh, 
the uh, fragility of life here, uh, you know, with Stubblefield and Axel. Oh, yeah. I guess, but if you, let's just say, you know, Eddie Mitchell never came, that you had that free time. I mean, you guys would have blocked out a few weeks and would, how would you have paced yourselves? I mean, ultimately with you, just from your own personal point of view, what would you want to uh, not come out of it, but what, during those sessions, what would make you feel the best? I mean, you guys are not from the generation of just make it sound good and we got to get out of here. Um, I, I think I think we would have just done what we normally do. Is, it was we would just go in the room uh, at SIR is where we were thinking of going because um, we know the people there and we could get a room easily. Um, just go in and just maybe... Russ might start a beat, and I would just jump in with something, and then Craig and and Cooch would throw something down. And I mean, we were really, you know, was, uh, there might be stuff where, like Craig, I mean, he might have been sitting home all this time doing a whole bunch of stuff that I'm unaware of, <laughs> and he would bring it in. And certainly, Cooch is a bottomless pit of grooves and ideas. Right. Um, and so we, you know, they might come in with something that was like 75 percent there, and then we would contribute to that. Um, so it's, it's hard to say, but it, it wouldn't be like... It, the thing we're fortunate of is that we're, none of us need this to pay our rent. So we could just kind of do this on our own terms. And um, if we get together and play and it's great, cool. And if we sit there and, and maybe a week or so into this, just go, you know, I don't know. It's kind of just not, not happening then fine, then we'll just, you know, uh, enjoy our history. I would not want to do anything that would at all diminish the history that the band had. Um, so it would have to be stuff that was on par, not necessarily, you know, I mean, not so much, I'm not going to say chops-wise or anything, because everybody's still pretty much at the top of their game. It's just, you know, we're talking stuff that was, you know, 35, 40 years ago, Um I don't think that way anymore. Um, we've, we all had life experiences, so it would be interesting to see what we might come up with um, as a version of this in you know 2017. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if it's not if, if it's not smoking and not killing us, then you just go okay. Well, let's you know well, let's still get together because I I work with Russ on a pretty regular basis, and um, no, and I try to get together with Cooch as much as I can. Craig lives like five minutes from me but you go 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 knock on his door man i mean he's he's such a walk man he's time working he and judy his wife work together on their music um right she's a she's she's someone i have to get to as well she's a wild uh singer poet oh she's nuts in a great way (laughs) hey you know yeah a piece of work (laughs) no i mean it's loud and clear i you know Lee, I really want to explore this idea with you. Like I talked to Mike Maynary, the vibes player, and and, and oh, yeah. he, he was talking to me about a period of time <clears throat> he'd get together with East Coast guys like uh, Joe Beck and Donald McDonald. There wasn't – can you talk about when your ears – when your ears grew the most? And what I mean by that is like on the road when you were playing unamplified music, especially on the Chitlin circuit, because I just feel like – there, there's such a propensity now, in my mind, when I listen to pop music or music on the radio or just in general, such such a conscious effort to keep time on the on the bass drums, such a such an, a, a double bass drums. And when I listen to the old the the, the cats, the 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 old school drummers, uh, a lot of them were keeping time on the cymbals. Or the, I hate kick drum. I mean, can you talk about how your ears grew in the unamplified setting of the of the not even the chitlins it could be chitlin but you just weren't plugging in and it, you actually were keeping the bottom end because today it just there's no there's no space and it sounds like machine guns and I just wanted you to talk about how your ears grew at that time. I think one of my biggest in in terms of contemporary stuff when I go to a live concert. I, I get so angry with front-of-house guys mm-hmm. who think the kick drum is the most important instrument on the stage, and you hear nothing but kick drum up there. When I listen back to Beatles records and those old records, I mean, everything was the top of the kit, and the bass was the bottom. And you'd hear a little kick drum, but it was supportive. It wasn't a dominant instrument. Um, during Even when I was doing the Chitlin uh, gigs, like in the, in the kind of mid-late 80s, I mean mid-late 60s, um, 
I, I had a little tiny amp and stuff, but but I, I got kind of turned on to that world when I when I became friends with Harmonica George Smith, who was one of the greatest harp players out of Chicago, and um, he turned me on. I, I through him I got to play with Albert Collins and Big Mama Thornton and Pee Wee Creighton, um, uh, uh, Magic Sam, uh, Jimmy Reed. All these cats, I, you know, the, the good thing always was that whenever I did the gigs, I knew I was going to get ripped off because they were going to get ripped off too <laughs> by whoever hired them. But it was it was such an education to be with these cats and doing, you know, the, the uh, that circuit of, you know, there were nights where we actually, you would find yourself sleeping on a pool table after hours and, and things. But can you? Uh, I really, was, what I really want was, you to groove on is this top of the kit use of time. This is so essential for humanity moving forward. What was it? Well, a, I, I think when I listen, especially to drummers like Ringo and Charlie Watts mm -hmm. and, and, and guys like that, they lay down that drum kit is is such a beautiful um, conduit between the bottom end and the melody. Um, they really they create such a uh, an energy and a vibe there where I never really was concerned like so many sessions over the years it gets the point going well you're not your bass parts not matching that kick drum pattern right and you're going well Jesus Christ fuck? let me play the bass and let him figure out a pattern that fits the bass part the bass should be the dominant factor in the, in that register and not the ba you know the kick drum and and it, it it's gotten away from like it, it it got away from the double kicks. I mean, every, you know, I mean, double uh, bass drum setups. But you know, with the advent of so many of like the the pedal setups now, where guys can sit there with one bass drum and do all kinds of stuff that sounds like they've got three bass drums going. Um, it, it gets a little at times tedious for me um, trying to accommodate that. But that once again becomes an individual thing based on the drummer and his understanding of what the bass player does. And it's not all about him and his chops. Um, you know, I love a, a, a drummer who can just lay down just a, a nice pocket. Um, but uh, to me, the pocket really sits between the hi-hat and the snare and, 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 and toms. It's not that, that kick drum pattern that's really in the way I'm just going, give me some breathing space in here. This is unnecessary. Um, and and, so, and guys do do get it. I mean, we're, when we're getting ready to go out with Phil Collins, his son Nicholas is going to be our drummer now. And Nicholas is 15 years old. He'll be 16 when we hit the road. And we just spent five days doing a kind of a preliminary rehearsal down in Miami. And one of the songs just was not laying well. And and uh, Daryl Sturmer and I and, and Brad Cole sat down with Nick and said, "I'll do it. Simplify that kick drum pattern." and focus on this he's he's a really a fine young drummer and really hungry and it's and he immediately did what we said and all of a sudden the song locked in um and i i love the fact that he's it's not like you're going oh god it's it's dad's kid so you better not say anything to him he's so hungry to learn and it, it made total sense to him they said oh yeah god if you know if i simplify that the rest of this will lay much better um, and I, I really appreciate that with him. I think it's going to make for a great tour. I want this uh, is I could talk to you for hours about I mean, I need you to. So do you think I'm not trying to say that, you know, this is about sort of <clears throat> ripping out the <laughs> the, the wiring and then uh, reinstalling it in, in the sense of obviously he's young. He's hungry. He wants to have his own individual sound, and he wants to learn from people that, like masters that have been on the bandstand before. Yeah. But it, for for cats that are, Murata, Rick Murata and I had a great conversation a couple about a month ago, and he he made an interesting point, and I'll let you riff on it. And I want you. To, yeah. He said that <clears throat> that, you know, for him, for instance. He didn't even start playing drums till he was nineteen. He was he just had natural rhythm. Uh, David Spinoza was like, you know, you dance so well, why, why, I'd hire you to be my drummer. But he didn't really play drums. And then, essentially, like he was listening to Max Roach or maybe Stubblefield or cats that were so unique. And like you said, primarily using the top of the kit with a little bit of taste at the bottom. But what he said was, when the drum machine came in, people instead of emulating, trying to emulate people people try to start emulating a machine. 
And that's why you have a situation today where you have drummers and you can't tell who they are because they've been trying to copy a machine. And that, oh. to, that to me was a stunning thing and it makes total sense because there's this anonymity and formulaic sort of beat that is in everything now. And I just want you to talk about... Uh, I can lay so much blame at the, the advent of digital technology and machines and all that. I mean, so much of the soul, soul. of everything we've done uh, went right down the toilet when that stuff came in and they started quantizing things and dry, you know, and when you ask a, an engineer or a producer, how's it feel? And they're, and they're telling you by looking at a stopwatch, um, you know, you're seeing but, that all. I mean, that to oh, me is what is that feeling? I mean, honestly, I, you're not a violent person, but what what does that feel like, man? I mean, that well, would be very. It, yeah. it, 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 to me, music is fluid and organic, and and if you can't have something, say you want it to, to just to lift emotionally during a chorus and then settle back into a verse, when you're sitting there with machines. And you can't do that. You can't do that the way a, a group of people would. But uh, I'll tell you one really quick an anecdotal story. I was doing a Japanese project, um, and they brought in Billy Payne and myself to put bass and keyboards on this thing. They had already done a bunch of the stuff back in Japan. So we're, we're doing all this stuff. Great. Then they came up with one last song, and it was a waltz kind of feel. And their drummer was there, so they had their drummer play it with us. And we, so we, we kept trying to cut this track, and they had the click set and all that stuff. And it just sucked. It was not there. And I finally begged the producer. I said, can we play it once without the click track? And we cut it and, and totally nailed it. And I looked in the drum booth, and the drummer was crying. And I went in. I said, what's going on, man? Are you okay? And this is a Japanese drummer. Yeah. He said, I've never played without a click before. I didn't know you could do it. Oh, it's like I what when what year was this essentially this was probably um in the 90s the reliance so the technology has gotten so deeply rooted inside of us that we overly reliant on it to the point when you i thought he was crying because he was in a state of bliss because it was such a beautiful waltz well it, 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 it he was in a state he was crying because it was an epiphanal moment for mm -hmm. him having played drums for his whole life and never one time sat down without a click track or a drum or something to play to not being able to trust his own instincts um it was it was because for me it was deep because i that's the way I, I still think and to see somebody experience that was a real moment for me too uh, it's it's a real difficult time people become very untrusting and also we end, have ended up in a business where uh, a lot of guys who are making records don't trust themselves, mm -hmm. and that's why I get called to go to somebody's house and do bass parts as compared to going to a studio, sitting with a bunch of guys. They, there's guys who can't uh, kind of uh, assimilate a group of musicians and make it work. They have to hear each instrument one at a time to be able to judge anything. And, uh, and that, to me, really diminishes the performance. When I go to somebody's house and I'm sitting at their Pro Tools rig, they may not have the drums on it yet. I might just be playing to a click track. I can't affect anything but my bass part, and I can only do that within certain parameters because I'm stuck with a click track. I can't make it breathe. I can't make it do anything other than a basic part. And uh, I really, that for me is a re really diminishes my experience i mean i'll do the best i can with it but the difference between doing that and then going in a studio with a group of guys and um and playing together uh and creating these parts is a whole other ball game and uh it's a different world you know i i i, I, I and, and it's come back i've been I've done a lot more projects in the past couple of years that are maybe four six eight guys in the studio together working and uh, you might be sitting there listening to it going, you know, Jesus, this thing could use a better intro or it could use, you know, uh, uh, could use a bridge. And the band actually ends up creating it where if it's just you, you can't do anything like that. So uh, it's, it's, a, it's a tough call. I, I love working and I love being busy, but there's a part of me that misses a, a great deal of 
I don't, you know, again, saying the old days, but there was that. No, it's that, true. I mean, there was this, I, I have become, my show, Lee, on top of everything else has really become about uh, about rhythm and, 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 and unique rhythm. And you can't, yeah. you can't get that. Now, I want you to just um, listen to this for a minute. I'll read you something here. Uh, this is from the late, great Butch Trucks, who I had an opportunity. Oh, God, he's like, yeah. Because this was so heartbreaking. I, I worked with Butch many times, and he I mean, and I talked all the time on Facebook. And I love the man okay. dearly. You know, I did want I, I had a, I just want you to read this. I want to read this quote to you, and then um, have you uh, because and then yeah. I'll give you my theory about. Okay, so because Butch unfortunately took his life, the audience uh, took his own life about a month ago. He said, "Yeah, what Donald Trump has brought out." And I did this interview before the election in October uh, last year. He, I said, he said, what Donald Trump has brought out is the way things used to be in this country. White males ran everything. Trump is absolutely right out in the open that everything is wrong is wrong because of Muslims. Everything is wrong is wrong because of somebody else. Go back to making America great again. What these people hear, his supporters, is that it's time to go back to the 50s when white men ruled everything. Women get back in the kitchen where they belong and the black people step out of the way <clears throat> when their betters are walking down the street in front of them. Now, okay, I'm not a prophet, and I'm not, I don't know Butch personally, but I have to believe, I'm 38, Lee. You're turning 70. He is 70 years old. My parents, um, I don't know psychologically if I went through the civil rights movement the way you guys did, and with Butch, you know, you know, he told this other story about them getting arrested in Southern Alabama, which is where Jeff Sessions is from, because Jamo was in the bank. They had a black person yeah. with him. Okay. Yeah. Now, now I have to. You can talk about financial stuff, whatever. I, I really believe that he did not want to see what we are all seeing right now, and I hate to be cryptic about it, but if he I was incredibly depressed at what he was seeing I when know. we talked on Facebook, he was really distressed by everything that's going on right now. I don't really need you to validate the reasons why. I just want you to talk about how you you write stunningly cogent and piercing responses to this individual, uh, this this president. But I'd like you to talk about how people can best feel like they are staying, keeping their soul together in their own way. I mean, you have you're you're staying busy. You're staying as busy as you can. But for everybody, can you talk? Can you add some pearls of wisdom? I don't want to foster any any more hate. I just want to. Feel, yeah. I want people to feel inspired and liberated in this time, in these historical dark times. Well, I, I just for myself, I want people to educate themselves to to not fall prey to um, dogma and um, and kind of the bullshit that we're hearing thrown out on a daily basis. If if you're going to speak about things, try to at least understand what you're talking about, and not just bumper sticker um, phrasing. Um, I think I personally, I think Donald Trump is is a, a profound an, uh, mistake, anomaly, um, danger. I think this is uh, just this is a, 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 a pathetic little man with a monstrous ego who's never had to, to do anything in his life. Um, I know personally through people um, that have been ripped off by this guy and their companies were almost lost because of him telling them to get screwed when it came time to pay for the services that they rendered for him on, on building projects. I, I think he, he and, and the people he's, I can't believe who he's surrounding himself with. It seems like there's this intentional quality of going out to look for the absolute most unqualified worst people for each position and then putting them in there and everybody seems to be such cowards that they won't stand up to this bully and say no um, I but I think that we can't allow ourselves to fall into a, a morose um, attitude in this country I think we have to because uh, I, I was you know I, I grew up through the Vietnam War period and was in went to marches with my parents and and stood up against that and so much of that as time has gone on all the things we were all accused of being traitors and stuff all turned out to be true mm -hmm. and right now we're looking at a really similar thing going on here with his attacks on people 
uh, it's affecting the music business. There's orchestras having to cancel their tours because there's so many Muslim musicians in international orchestras that the orchestras can no longer come to the United States because sections of the orchestra will not be allowed in the country. Lee, I want to I, I I ask you, this is so important, because you talked about this, because he's a fraud, I mean, and, and he's a ripoff. An absolute now, fraud. Now, here's the thing. If, now, for a lot of cats, there's a lot of rage in this country. You said you, 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 know, yeah. you go all over the country. What do you say to cats that feel like they've been ripped off? Not by him, but he's channeling their anger. How do they break out of the trance? How do they see? How do they? How do they? How do they see the light, man? I mean, really. I mean, that's what what I'm. We're preaching to the choir here. But those. No, I know. Well, there's so many people that 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 live a life of victimization, and they've never really figured out how to get out of blaming everybody else for their woes. And I don't know how you answer that. Um, uh, you know, I, I, I didn't come from privilege. I came from a very kind of middle, middle-class family, and I worked my ass off my whole life. I never had anything special given to me. I just had a work ethic, and I really cared about the world I live in and try to make it as good as I possibly can. Um, I, I wish everybody, they don't have to emulate me, but I wish people would not just sit and blame other people for their woes, but would figure out some way to get out of whatever it is that they're feeling trapped in. Um, a lot of times, guys I've known have come from families that were non-supportive, that gays that I know who, if their, if their parents found out they were gay, they were immediately, I have no son right. anymore. Right, kind right, of stuff. Right, right. I don't know how you recover from that, um, but I see people, uh, I have people coming on my Facebook page when I make my comments, and I find it just shocking, the, some of the things that, that people will, will come in and say. You know, and, and I get so much. I get just play bass and shut up. You know, you know I mean, it's, it's, it's just like yeah. You know, people are like Jake. You know, I mean, I'll, I'll I'll cut and paste in one of your quotes, and and they won't even read down the whole thing to see that it wasn't me saying it. But they'll say, "Oh, Jake, you're you're, you're pretty hot and bothered." And it's like, you know what? It's I'm not hot and bothered. I saw this coming six years ago. I was talking to Richard Davis on my program mm -hmm. about this stuff in 2011. I'm liberated, but I'm also going to stay vigilant. I'm not, absolutely because you know what? I all I see is this: there are three backstops to, to tyranny, uh, and that is regular peeps, that is the press, and that is the courts. And he is go he has put people in place to he is demonizing all three of those areas. Exactly. And that to me, those are the three backstops. And, and, and so, you know, it's not that I'm pissed off. It's I'm just going to stay vigilant. I don't want it just because the, the Holocaust in last century was Jewish people. But that doesn't mean it won't be. It could be a different people. We're all one human race. Well, my neighbor, my neighbor across the street from me, um, he was in a Japanese internment camp. Uh, I know a lot of Japanese people whose relatives were their lives were destroyed and they were taken off to internment camps and they were american citizens hmm. this when people turn a blind eye to this mm -hmm. stuff um and and now they're talking about taking the national guard and having them go out and do sweeps for for illegal immigrants well may as well just put ss bans on them and, and and reopen the internment camps then and maybe the gas chambers because this is the mentality that these guys are working from and as much as they try to hide it when he goes on and starts his ranting on his tweets. This guy is certifiably um, dangerous. I, I, I completely I, agree. I think he's. And, you know. and, and, but I think if people bury their heads in the sand and deny it, then they're going to get what they're going to get. All these people that sit there and still think he's the guy that's got their back, uh, and then suddenly when they when they develop cancer and they realize they have no health care. And, and they can't deal with it, and they're going to lose everything, and they're going to die from it. It's a little late at that point to uh, try to change things. So I'm just going to be a fly in the ointment as much as I possibly can and, uh, <laughs> and uh, just uh, try to I, – I always tell people when they come to my page, you don't have to agree with me at all. I'm not saying come here because I'm right. I'm saying if you want a dialogue, at least come and have a dialogue based in fact and, and, and not in some kind of fantasy fiction that somebody's spoon-feeding you and you're just believing it. It's not Jonestown and they're just going to hand you a cup of Kool-Aid. So. <laughs> well, uh, it's a difficult uh, uh, time, and I'm grateful yeah. to be in music and at least have something that can bring people some joy in this madness that we're experiencing every day. Well, uh, Lee Sklar, I, I, I always love talking to you, man, and i got to tell you... Um, 
I, I keep being a fly in the ointment um, and uh, and and being proactive and and fostering love and and maybe you know like I said I mean uh, you know this is sort of I, I think the, ca- the the cowardice of certain leaders uh, to not call out the demagoguery and the bigotry um, is not just going to hurt the people that you know these 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 Trump supporters it's going to affect a lot of just oh, it's in, everybody. Yeah, it's man, we're all going to get into it, you know. And that's the thing is, like, I just want to, I I just want to know on my end that I'm doing what I can to, uh, yeah, to 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 push back. So, uh, you know, good good luck. We'll be in touch, and much love to you, man. Thank you for for taking the it's time. It's always today. a pleasure, anytime, my friend. Love always, Lee. Be good. You too, man. All right, take now. care. Jim. All right. Just heard from a legendary human being and a great bass player, Leland Sklar. We'll be right back on the other side of the music with Marco Benevento. Thank you. 